All right, in the book of Romans again this evening, Romans chapter 14, we are, we're moving along. We've got three more chapters here, so uh, uh, my daughter was concerned that we wouldn't get through this before her 16th birthday. Uh, that's, my, that's my soon-to-be 12-year-old, but anyways, um, but we are, we're moving along at a good pace, and we're going to cover, hopefully, a, a number of verses here this evening. And the title of the message tonight is, is uh, Sacred or Secondary? with a question mark because remember we're in the section of the book of Romans that deals with the practical and how our Christian beliefs should play out and this section of scripture deals with how we are to judge others or how we're not to judge others and Paul had to deal with that and he writes it here in our uh, Romans chapter 14 is where uh, this is found and we're going to look down through this before we or uh, as we read it here. Romans 14, beginning in verse 1, he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And so then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another, anymore but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way our father we do come before you again recognizing your word recognizing lord even tonight we open it and we treasure it it instructs us in everything we need to know about you and about how we are to live now and forever and we ask god that as we open this book you would show it to us and reveal even into the dark recesses of our hearts areas that the Holy Spirit needs hold of. And Lord, that we would yield those areas to you. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray even in this text here tonight, he might be exalted in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This uh, section of scripture deals with judging and Perhaps you've heard the little story before about, and the story goes like this, that one day a man took a walk and he came to a bridge. And as he was 
while crossing the bridge, he noticed another man was up on the railing of the bridge and he appeared to be looking like he was ready to jump off the bridge. Of course, being a Christian, the man was concerned and he went up to the man and he said, uh, he says, don't jump, don't jump, I can help you. He says, how can you help me, the man said on the rail. And the first man ra- said this, well, he said, I'm a Christian and I can help. Well, the man up on the, on the uh, rail said, well, I'm a Christian too. And the guy said, well, that's wonderful. He said, well, are you a Catholic or are you a Protestant? And he said, well, I'm a Protestant. Oh, that's so great. He says, what uh, sort of Protestant are you? Uh, are you Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, or something else? The man up on the rail says, well, I'm a lifetime Baptist. And uh, and the other guy said, praise the Lord. He says, so am I. And he said, let me ask you this. Are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, I'm Northern Baptist. Wow. He said, are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And the man up on the rail said, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist. Well, call Ripley's. This is amazing. So am I. And are you Northern Conservative Baptist Fundamental or Northern Conservative Baptist Reformed? And the man on the rail thought for a moment and then he declared, My father raised me as a Northern Conservative Baptist Reformed. It's a miracle, said the first man. He says, so am I. And are you Northern Conservative Baptist Reformed to Great Lake Regions, uh, the Great Lake Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Reform of the Great Plains Region? And the man on the rail said, uh, he said, well, that's easy. My family has always been Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes region. The other man said, this is a miracle of miracles. Uh, he says, I, I don't often meet another brother who shares my heritage. And he says, one final question. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes region of Council of 1855 or Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lakes region Council of 1872? And the man on the rail replied instantly, well, since the days of my great-grandfather, we've always been Northern Conservative Baptist Reform Great Lake region Council of 1872. There was an awkward pause and the other man said, die, heretic, and he pushed him off the bridge. You know, that's a, it's, a, it's a funny little story, and we all laugh at that, I, me included. And, but in reality, sometimes, to maybe a lesser extent, we treat other Christians who don't fully agree with us like that, don't we? We, we would rather see them away from us, never see them again, walk on the other side of the street, call them anathema, heretic, whatever else, and uh, the same thing was going on in the early church as it does today. Now, they had not probably gotten to as many denominations and likes and dislikes as we have in our world of, of what we call Christendom today, but definitely it was there. If you think about it, and some of it comes up in this section of Scripture, remember, Paul's writing to the Christians at Rome. Remember the saying, all roads lead to Rome? And that was true. Uh, the Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire, and all the major roads that were built all went back to Rome. It was the center hub of all their economy, their trading, their activities, their you know academics. All those things went to Rome primarily. And in the case of Rome, it brought in a lot of people, diverse people of all kinds of backgrounds. Sometimes we might think, well, maybe there were just a couple groups of people, maybe Jews and Gentiles in the early church, and, and those Jews and Gentiles didn't always see things alike and get along. We know that was the case, uh, well, in other parts of the book where Paul had to address it with Peter, also in the book of Acts, we, we know that historically. But when it came to Rome, it was much more diverse than that. 
There were free men. There were slaves. Both had become Christians. There were people who were from Africa who were in that part of the Roman Empire. There were people from the Middle East. There were people from Central Europe, Eastern Europe, then the, the uh, place around the Mediterranean. All those people came together. There they were in Rome, coming from different languages and cultures and all that, having been united under the Roman Empire. And now they've become Christians. And some of them probably have even come from other areas of Christianity. Christianity was spreading at this point. And there were most likely other Christians who, well, like even the Apostle Paul, who had brought that to Rome, and others before him certainly had come with the gospel. And we know that. <clears throat> and there were people that had gone to the far corners of the Roman Empire too. So you can, what I'm trying to say is this. It was a very diverse group. And in the backgrounds associated from the Roman Empire, from one group to the next, there were extreme cultural differences. I mean, big things like some who would refuse to eat meats, period. All right. They were vegetarians. And there are people today that live in certain parts of the world that they are pretty much on a vegetarian diet and will not eat meat. And they do so for cultural reasons and also for religious beliefs and things like that. Well, there were no doubt people coming from that background. There were people who thought, well, I, you know, I, I think it's perfectly proper to sit down and have a glass of wine with my evening meal. And others would say, no, I wouldn't do that. There were others that probably had other you know, areas of dispute that were going on. And Paul writes, first and foremost, to remind them that there are sacred things. He's dealt with that in the first part of this whole book as we've gone through it. But then there are secondary things. Don't get the two confused. And they aren't always easily sorted out. Sometimes we, we think that we, in our form of Christianity, is the best and it is the only way. All right? And the reality is, uh, I remember years ago, a guy wrote a book. The book was called, The Church is Bigger Than You Think. And it was referring to Christians worldwide and the movement of Christ in missions, uh, in, in you know, the missionary movement, and how it appears a lot differently in other parts of the world but hopefully we all come under the same banner of the followers of Christ and we believe the core doctrines of the faith. But a lot of other things are preferences. A lot of other things are secondary and they're not hills necessarily to die on, if you want to put it that way. Um, when Paul writes here and he says this, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Okay? He starts right off with, and it's really the first four verses here that deal with this whole thing about accepting one another. And here you picture the congregations that were meeting in Rome. Probably wasn't one central church. At this point, there were waves of persecution that came and went. And in many cases, it was house churches. They were meeting in certain little groups here and there and probably were aware of other groups, but maybe not everybody. And eventually, they would be driven literally underground into the, the catacombs as you know, places where they had buried the dead for centuries and also places where the you know the drains of the sewers uh, poured out from Rome and they would go down there and they would have their church services or conduct their bible studies all those things and there were again diverse groups of people and when someone would come along they might not be exactly cut from the same cloth they were the other people were cut from it might be entirely different and they're outsiders but yet they're christians all right and paul says receive such a one 
And that's really the, the first section of this, this sec- there's actually three basic exhortations in this section of scripture that we read. And the first one is very simply, accept one another. And you say, well, why accept other Christians? Because God has accepted them. And if Christ has re- received them, accepted them, then we ought to receive them also as brethren. Uh, and so that's the, the bottom line with that. And he says that um, to accept him whose faith is weak. And what he's referring to there is someone that maybe isn't as firmly grounded. And they may have practices even that aren't exactly in line with what you think is proper or others think is proper. Uh, I think some of that comes with teaching as we systematically go through the word of God. There are times when I remember... Uh, uh, you know, you can get two ways to deal with issues in, in the body of Christ, in, in the church, as we put it here. You can go and look for them and stir up trouble. And there's plenty of issues to find if you stir enough. The other way is to let the Lord do the work and stir people from the inside. And that works far better, all right? Now, you can't always do that. Sometimes you do have to go address sin where sin is there and it's evident and it's affecting people. And you know that. And you, that is part of the biblical mandate of Christians... You know, stirring one another up and hopefully to good works, uh, not just evil, but, you know, those that stirring one another, sharpening one another, all that. Um, But there's the other way, like I said, of letting the Lord do the work. And here, this, whoever it is, as Paul writes, he says, receive the one who's weaker. Bring them in. And why bring them in? Because they need that. God's received them. And sometimes, as all of us know, and we were there and still are, some of us, you know, there are rough edges, right? And when I first got saved, there was a lot of things that if I was to walk, matter of fact, the, the afternoon that I came home after I, I got saved, it was May of 1988, I went home and I'm sitting in my bedroom and I'm looking at the posters on my wall and I'm thinking, wow, those probably shouldn't be on my wall anymore. If somebody had walked in right then and and I said, hey, I just became a Christian. I be, I'm a Christian. Just said, I'm a Christian. And they looked around my bedroom. They would say, you're not a Christian. Look at this. Or went through and perused my music collection or uh, the, the places I had been in the previous week and all of that. You know what? They had said, there's no way you're a Christian. My faith was just starting. But I knew I was a Christian and God had too. He, he received me that day. And he did the same with every single one of us that have received Christ. And you know what? In doing so, I'm thankful for Christians who took me in. They didn't come at me and say, hey, what's in your music collection? Hey, what do you have hanging on your wall? Where were you the other day anyways? And who was that you were with? They didn't do that. They let the Lord work it out. And as he did, you know what? One by one, those things fell into place as I went through the word of God. And I realized, you know, I don't know if I should be listening to this anymore. I don't know if I should have, you know something like that on my wall or whatever else you know and i and the lord dealt with that in his way and there are times and he still does it where i hears into it now 30 years into it sometimes he just puts his finger on something that i never even gave a thought of and say lord i, I gotta and then you have a choice you gotta deal with it right but anyways we're back to this this whole thing god has accepted us and you know what? A lot of things that we divide one another over and break fellowship with, sadly, are secondary things that aren't even the core values of what a Christian should be. And in doing so, we really harm the whole body of Christ in doing that. The, uh, the second part of that, by the way, and uh, when you look through it, there's 
um, he talks about having your own convictions, and that's verses 5 to 9. We'll, we'll come to that. Well, I can, I can go there now, I guess. In verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You know what Paul says here? That it's not always one or the other. It's sometimes both. Do you realize that one Christian could say, I really think Sunday is a, is a sacred day and that you shouldn't do any work on Sunday. Um, you shouldn't do, you know, go to restaurants on Sunday because you're making someone else work. There are Christians that hold that conviction and probably Christians even in our own congregation that hold that conviction. But you know what? If you sweep through the whole Bible, all right, you will not find on the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, any verses that deal with that at all, Okay. Other than the principle that we, we count the Lord, you know, as our, well, obviously, we esteem him, right? But to some believers, Sunday, in, in reality, is not a different day, all right, than Saturday or Thursday. There are some churches that meet on a Thursday night, some on a Wednesday night, some on a Sunday night, some on a Sunday morning, some Saturday night, all right? And you say, but, but they, they should meet twice on Sunday, and it should be just like the way we do it. no. Find the Bible verse that says that, right? He says, let both be convinced in their own mind. In other words, firm in your conviction, but esteem one another, right? And he says, you know, here are the two people in that. Well, let's go on. He says this, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. Isn't that great? Here's the principle. If you think that Sunday should be a day that you uh, keep honoring the Lord, I think that's a good principle. All right, I really do. It would do us all well to focus on the Lord at least one day a week, all right? And really concentrate on Him and put everything else aside that, that so easily distracts us. But listen, if you say, thank you, Lord, that I have a day to relax and to, to do that, great. There's another guy that he might have to work on that day. There's lots of people that have to work on Sunday, and I'm glad they're out there. Uh, when I'm traveling on a Sunday and need to go to meetings and I've done that before I'm glad for the guy that is at the gas station I'm glad for the police officer and the firefighter and you know those in the military and others that are out there that have to work 24 hours a day seven days a week right people have to fill that function but I should not sit back and look on the Christian who has to go into the work on his shift for that day or whatever else and say oh that ungodly man or woman that they're doing that and they've turned to the world and you know that's where do you find that in the Bible? You won't. You won't. It's a conviction. And I say that because we are to thank the Lord. And as he says, one observes the day, one doesn't. There are Christians that say we should not observe special days like Christmas or Thanksgiving or birthdays or those kinds of things. Now to me, personally, I'd say, eh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with observing traditional days we call holidays if we focus on the Lord. And the principle is not do you celebrate Christmas or don't celebrate Christmas, celebrate Christmas is what is your Christmas focused on? You know, I think it should be focused on the Lord or if you don't celebrate it, you still should be focused on the Lord, you know, and that's the principle. You shouldn't divide fellowship over those things in that. Um, talks about eating and drinking. We'll come to some of these here as we go down through it, but there's all these different groups. And by the way, the Jews, and there was a large segment of the Christian church, all right, the early church, that first 
a couple hundred years, really, that was a Jewish church in flavor and in uh, the way they acted and in many things. Probably their music was much a carryover of the Psalms learned in Hebrew, and they would have brought those in, and Christians would have sung that. Um, They would have sung a certain way, all those different areas. They also would have brought in the feasts, right? There were Jews celebrating the Passover still. Uh, I don't think you need to celebrate the Passover, but if you do, celebrate it as a Christian with Christ at the center of it, right? And that's some of that was with Paul. And we know Paul did that, by the way, when he goes and he goes back to Jerusalem. It was to go back and attend the feast of Passover. But yet he was a Christian apostle. What's he doing? Well, he was going there to present Christ to his fellow brothers. And he does that to his, well, detriment. He knew he was going to face persecution. He did. He got arrested for it. And his life hung in the balance there, literally, on that. But really, we are to have our own convictions, all right? That's verses 5 to 9. Have your own convictions. And then verses 10 to 12, verse 13 can be tagged onto that, is don't judge others, per se. Instead, allow God to or allow them to answer to the Lord. Because ultimately other Christians are going to stand before the Lord and we will give account of our life, not for sin, but rather for service and how we lived and how we, how we did that. And the Bible teaches that in, uh, throughout Scripture in that. And we'll look at some more things. Where does this apply to us? Well, Romans 14, right? We go from Rome, we go to Madawaska. <laughs> Long journey. But yet not that long when you think about it. It's just one sinner who's handed on the message to another sinner and a long line of sinners who did that. And Christ saved them and changed them and and churches were planted and and then churches continued and other people went out and planted other churches. And then one of these days it came to us here in Madawaska in the St. John Valley. But the issues that came from the early church are still with us today. These same issues about how we are to judge or keeping things sacred and, and things that are you know definitely uh, things that determine whether you're a Christian or not and secondary things, okay? And that struggle that goes on, and every one of us has a struggle with something, I'm sure. And I could go down through different things and talk about that. But really, we get to this whole point of distinctions and clarifications. There are what I call biblical distinctions that make us stand as you know doctrinally as a christian all right uh some have asked well what really is the the simplest doctrinal statement of a, of a christian you know that would make you if you adhere to these in faith you would be a christian and i would have to say the apostles creed okay now some of you remember having to memorize the apostles creed when you were little and you go down through it you know and all that but it essentially Uh, was the earliest creed adopted by the christian church to identify uh, what a christian is and what they believe okay believing in one god a triune god the father the son the holy spirit right to believe in the uh in in jesus who was crucified he was buried he rose again that's in the apostles creed right you can't have a jesus who's dead and be a christian okay You have to believe in a resurrected Christ. You have to believe he died. You have to believe that he's triune. He's part of the Trinity. He's God. You have to have the communion of the saints. That's the fellowship of believers. 
You believe in, in the original Apostles' Creed, or in, in English says, the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic meaning universal. It's not a bad word, okay, uh, for those that aren't Catholic. Uh, what I say that is, the, in the earliest church, when they said Catholic, they said of the universal church. They recognized a unity in the body of believers that was universal. And that's all in there, okay? And there's a lot of superfluous things that are not. And I say that because that's what was boiled down to say that's our doctrinal statement. But that's, that's not what this text is dealing with. We've dealt with that already in the book of Romans. And Paul, as he laid out systematically his argument for what a Christian believes, that hopefully we've covered all those things and, and some more things as well. And by the way, the return of Christ as well. Uh, that's there. All those things are part of what I would call... Uh, they're called uh, directives or distinctions, I should say, that say, I'm a Christian. All right? You don't have that in other worldviews and other world religions. That is what makes a Christian. Now, the clarifications are partly culture and practice, okay? And what, you know, what do we do and what, what don't we do as believers? And what do we do in Madawaska that maybe we wouldn't need to do somewhere else or that we can do here, but we shouldn't do somewhere else? Part of the scripture that teaches us that we, that really to keep unity within the body of Christ, that even a more mature believer should yield to someone who's not as mature. And I say that to an extent. That's the biblical principle. But there's also biblical teaching that tells us that if someone is weak in the faith and committing sin, that that sin can't just be continued. You know, it needs to be addressed, especially when it's affecting others. Um, it really has to be at that point, all right, when you know of it and it's affecting others. Uh, but I, I say that because there is some leeway with that, but there's also uh, understanding that, you know, not everything is sin, okay, that is just different. Some places you go to a church service and in parts of the world, parts of our own country here, and there will be all kinds of people in shorts. Go to, the, go to Bermuda. Guess what? Bermuda shorts, right? People wear it. Or in the Caribbean, they come into the congregation, they're wearing shorts. But they also have a shirt and a tie, a lot of them. Uh, there are places in southern United States, if you were wearing shorts and you came to church, oh boy, people would be really upset because culturally it's not appropriate. And there are other places it would be. You know, I'm just saying there's a lot of diversity in our own country in that. What does the Bible say about shorts? All right? I think the Bible teaches modesty, okay? Uh, and that's the, the bottom line, and no pun intended. That's, that's, the, you know, that's what shorts is about, all right? If they're modest, they're not drawing your attention to the human in, who's in them, well, I think they're fine, all right? And you shouldn't break fellowship over somebody who's out you know, mowing their lawn in their shorts or something like that. I've seen Christians who have broken fellowship over silly things like that. I say silly. To them, it's very important. But I think, honestly, when you couple it with what are uh, distinctions in Scripture and what are what we call clarifications or, or certain things that can be moved around a little bit, um, there's a difference, okay? And sometimes disagreement is not always sinful. There are doctrines that are not of uh, what I would call the distinctives that make a Christian, but they're they're doctrines that maybe separate groups of Christians. Like, for instance, we take uh, prophetic things or eschatological things, future things, like the rapture of the church. 
There are some Christians that don't believe in a literal rapture. There are some Christians that do not believe the rapture will take place before the tribulation period. Now, I, I do. I think that's what the scripture teaches. That's what we would hold to here. But there are Christians that believe maybe it'll happen three and a half years into it. There are others that believe it'll happen at the end of the tribulation period. Others don't believe that there's a literal seven-year tribulation. And they yet they believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that they've trusted him by faith and that, you know what, he rose again and, and you know what, they're going to they're gonna be in heaven. But those are not necessarily things to break fellowship on. Now, I would not necessarily say get in in one big group and try to teach everybody else something because you're going to have all these different confusing voices and things. But there are definitely things that um, we should embrace other believers even sometimes when they, what well, you would say, they are not understanding things correctly. Okay? What if somebody shows up here and walks in and sits down and you get to talking to them and you find out they believe some strange things, but you know they, they claim they know Christ and they've received him? Well, the Bible says we're to receive them. But then you deal with the other stuff appropriately. And you do so with the idea that if he's accepted in the beloved, then he ought to be loved. All right? Or that person, you know, otherwise we're not acting very Christian. That's for sure. All right. Uh, I don't want to get on this too much of a hobby horse with it, but listen, there are primary things or sacred things, and then there are secondary things. I think, and by the way, I think of other things in the, in the Apostles' Creed, like the virgin birth is mentioned there, all right? Uh, that's an absolute. I, if Christ was not born of a virgin, uh, conceived of a virgin, then we have the sinful nature being passed on to him, okay? That's the, it doesn't say that in that, but that's a big one, all right? But, um, uh, you know, the death and the resurrection of Christ bodily, his ascension into heaven, um, his visible and bodily return uh, to earth, those are all primary things and many other primary things, but, but those are definitely primary things. But the secondary things are, um, they're a lot different, you know, and they fall under a lot of things, what we call practice, Okay. And in any given room, if I was to list these, I got this list here from Ray Pritchard, and because he had a, on his comments on this section, he had this, and he puts a list of things together. And I'm just going to list them. I'm not going to comment much on them, but you just think in your mind the way you fall on this, okay? Movies, interracial marriage, hairstyles, seeker-friendly services, politics, smoking, loud preaching, Soft preaching, ecumenical movement, borrowing money, fishing on Sunday, divorce and remarriage, women ushers, pipe organs, pianos, guitars, drums, men wearing beards, hmm. drinking wine, women wearing jewelry, raising children. Faith promise giving, dating standards, pledging, liberal or conservative, Christian psychology, hmm. mode of baptism, worship style, timing of the rapture, homeschool or public school, age of the earth. And the last one he had on his list was birth control. 
Okay, those are all issues that are in front of us all the time, okay? And probably in any given congregation, there are many of those that are in people's minds, one way or the other. Some of those, if I was asked you, and I gave you that list, and I said, list sacred or secondary? Some would differ on what is sacred and what is secondary, okay? But I have to go this, they are all things that you know, are, are dealt with in the scripture for sure, or, you know, not necessarily directly in all that. Uh, I haven't found anything on Democrats or Republicans or independents yet or anything like that. Um, I just know that, you know, ultimately uh, the Lord sorts a lot of that out. Uh, but what do we do as we go through those? And you know what? I've, sadly, I've had believers, to, and probably in my own life, I have broken fellowship or I have just not gone to see somebody because we differ on things that are secondary issues, not primary issues. And we've got to be careful with that. Well, no doubt Paul was facing those same things, and there were Christians at Rome that were facing those same things. The biggest issue is to figure out what are primary and what are secondary, and a lot of it I have to go back to this and say, all right, pick one of those and tell me what the Bible says about it, you know? And so I'm going to pick one that's controversial. Smoking, okay? There used to be a lot more preaching on that years ago, probably, than there is today. But now we're, we're more concerned probably about legalization of marijuana or not. Or, you know, can you have that or not? Those are issues, okay, that are out there. But I, I say that. What does the Bible say on smoking, specifically? Anybody have a Bible verse? No, you don't. Does it teach us that maybe it's not the best thing? Well, yeah. I mean, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can use that principle. Um, somebody might come back and say, well, they offered up incense. That required burning, you know, in the temple of God. <laughs> so I don't think that's what smoking is about. But you know what I mean? I remember reading through J. Vernon McGee's comments on that one day, and he said this. He said, smoking is not talked about in the Bible, and therefore church discipline should never be enacted upon someone who smokes as a Christian because it's not talked about. And if you do that, then you better stop and do everything that is harmful to our body. Okay? And you could get, create a long list. You know? Did you overeat today? Yeah. Did you not exercise today? Yeah. I was out, I sprayed my apple trees today. Uh oh, it was pesticides. I thought, hmm. I'm bad now. I'm probably taking some pesticides myself. And I worked on Sunday. I just, but I was only like five minutes. Okay? I, I confess that. All right? It was five minutes. And I probably won't get any apples out of that now. But I just was out today and I thought, oh, I'll just try that. You know what? I look at that and I, I back to those things. And we, you know, you really, you see where legalisms go? Legalisms, I mean like if you enact a certain thing that's not a biblical absolute or it's not clear in Scripture, you've got to theoretically follow suit on everything else now we don't often do that there are lots of preachers that'll stand up and preach against smoking but then they'll go overeat okay uh yeah so i just picked that one but we could go right down through it and, and i i won't do that because it's just gonna uh but everything from well, we had this conversation today about beards we were at my at our dinner table and it wasn't a bad thing but i mentioned that in uh i've had a beard now for probably a full beard anyways for off and on for about uh, 10 12 years and i uh i mentioned that today uh troy healed was there and we were talking about that and i said i've had twice i've had people over the years 
come up to me and say that that's wrong to have a beard. It was at a church, and they met me at the door. And one guy was quite adamant about that. And I, I just said, well, I'm sorry, you know. But I told him, you know, some faces should be covered. So that's what I, my excuse was. And I would purposely offend somebody by having a beard and all that. But I don't think the Bible, actually, contrary to that, I think the Bible taught that there were beards because Christ had a beard. The book of Isaiah says they plucked his beard. All right? So I'm going to go back to that and say, well, listen, brother, I'm, I'm closer to the Lord than you. That's it. And some of us can't grow it on our heads, so we have to grow it somewhere else. But listen, don't divide fellowship over beards, okay? Don't do those kind of things. But there, it has happened. And if, if a couple of people have said it, there's probably a lot more that thought it, all right? I'm just saying that. And I could go right down through the different things. And what about new age, old age, things like that of the earth? Creationism. I, I'm a literal creationist, and I have no problem with a young earth, you know, which comes out in Scripture with the years that are presented. But I won't break fellowship over somebody that believes that uh, God created the earth. I mean, that's an absolute, but that it's been around a lot longer. Uh, otherwise, I'd lose a lot of my commentaries and some other things, okay? And I say that because eventually it's all going to be sorted out anyways, all right? But I, I go there and I say this, there are absolutes and then there are things that, you know, the jury's out on or something you could say and, and don't divide fellowship over those things. All right, I've got three minutes and i still got a couple pages here, but I think of this, sometimes disagreement is not always sinful and people can have two different convictions and it's not necessarily one bad and one good, okay? And we need to distinguish between the two for sure. Uh Accepting others requires humility above all other virtues. And that's really where it comes down to. It means sometimes my own pride has to step aside. I have sat in the pew or the chair before and heard somebody say something from the pulpit that I don't agree with. Um, sometimes I would go as far as saying, I think what they just said is heretical. But in my, you know, hopefully not jump up right away and divide everybody and confuse it and all that, but but stop and do like Paul did with Apollos and take him aside and say, uh, hey, you know, I think there's a different side to that and all that. And sometimes it's just because someone miscommunicated something and you heard it a certain way, the way you were looking. And if you're looking for that, you'll find it every time. There are times I've listened to my message as I've posted. I, you know, sometimes it's playing and I'm listening to it. I'm like, I said that? I didn't mean it that way. And occasionally that happens. And then I have to go back and think, well, I hope I, or I misquote a verse or say it in the wrong reference. And I said, that's not what I wanted. Uh, but it happens, okay? And boy, in this day and age where everything is scrutinized, it's easy to get all bent out of shape and all of a sudden say, I know what, not, you know, I know what's right and spout off on whatever, Twitter and Facebook and everything else today. And we do it with our politicians. We do it with probably our preachers. And hopefully as a Christian, we guard our mouth, we guard our hearts, and we stop and ask, what does the Bible say? And ultimately, what would Jesus do, right? What would he do in the situation? Jesus dealt with a lot of people in his ministry of three years, things, you know, people we know of from Scripture. I mean, think of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Have you read what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He didn't give them much space. Brood of vipers, he called them, right? Whited sepulchers. 
graves filled with dead man's bones, right? He called them all kinds of things. Yet Nicodemus comes to him, doesn't deal with any of that with Nicodemus. He asks Nicodemus, really uh, gives Nicodemus uh, the most important statement, right? Except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Hmm. What does that mean? He dealt with him. Nicodemus and all his religiosity and, and his, his pharisaical ways, all of those things. And he would have had to be like that to be a Pharisee. And yet he deals with him that way. He deals with the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, differently. Yet Jesus deals with him. And I think that's why you really, ultimately, we need to be more concerned with the person in front of us than who we are. And that's where love and humility comes in, in that. And ultimately, I think unity is better than disunity. Um, I think of Ephesians. This is a statement Paul makes in, in Ephesians. He says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He makes that doctrinal statement about the unity of the believers in christ we are unity we've been baptized by one spirit into one body okay it's awful if you think about this it's it's hard to get up in the morning and look at your hands i hate you hand you know what's that freckle doing there you know that finger's bent why is that bent get out of here and cut that off okay tomorrow i'll wake up oh no this one too look at that uh, well, how'd that happen? Cut that one off. All right. I know. I got to get somebody to cut my hand off. Cut my hand off. All right, I'll do my foot. Right, cut my foot off. Well, I don't like that. I don't even like. I don't like what I heard. Cut my ear off. All right. You see where the, we're going with this? You got a maimed person now that you've self-inflicted. I mean, that's it. You've killed. You cut your own members off. Right. Well, isn't that what we do sometimes in the church? We we say. You know, I don't like you know, what they think or say or do or how they raise their kids or that they do this and they don't do that. Or, and cut them off. Cut them off. You know what? It produces a, a, a figurative body, a body of Christ, right? That is a literal body in the sense of a, a union, but that it's disfigured. It's not very attractive. And, and, and we wonder why sometimes the unsaved go, oh, I don't want to be a Christian. But sometimes Christians do that too. I don't really want to be a Christian. Or why a younger generation says, no way, I'm walking away from that as soon as I can. And I'll tell you, that's where love comes in. Because love will put up with a lot of things, right? It'll put up with the aches and pains and the, and the freckles and all the other things that come in into that whole thing. Because we are one, all right? And I say that carefully because I, I've run into people that I would disagree with on some some pretty different things, okay? I mean... Uh, when I, I, I used to pray with a man that um, was a pastor of another church, and there were things we would definitely disagree on. Um, he came from a charismatic church, uh, spoke in tongues, a lot of things like that. But you know, I'd get together and we'd pray together, and we became good friends. I couldn't go to witness sighting on the street with him or anything like that because we would just probably confuse people. But I, I do believe he's a Christian and he loves the Lord. Um, I would not invite him in to speak here, you know, that kind of stuff. But I would have him in my house and pray with him and, and sit around my table and fellowship with him. Not a problem. 
There are other people that I've met, and I'm not sure really they're a Christian, but they call themselves Christians. Sometimes you wonder, right? I've, I've been at those places and said, hmm, here comes this guy, member of the clergy, or this woman, or whatever. I wonder if they even know the Lord. Well, you know what? The answer is not to go up to them and say, hey, do you know the Lord? By the way, I differ on this and this and this and this and this, right? And go right down through it. The answer is to agree where you can agree, but you know what? Show charity, show love. The love of Christ goes a long ways. And I, I end with a verse from Augustine, lived way back there in the, like, uh, died in 430 AD, so he lived back there a, a ways, but Augustine said this in Essentials Unity, referring to Christ or Christians. In non-essentials, diversity. And one of the great things is this, guys, that the church universal is very diverse. There is a lot of style differences in the way people conduct worship services and how they preach and and how they interact and how they sit at tables with each other, doing those things. And some kneel, some stand, some raise their hands, some don't. And there's all kinds of diversities. You know what? In non-essentials, diversity. But in all things charity, in all things charity, that's the, the sacrificial kind of love. So you're there with someone who doesn't know the Lord, maybe, or someone who does know the Lord, but they're way out there, and you know you wouldn't really still love them, okay? Don't hate them. That's not the answer. But love Christ and show that. Well, let's end there. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. And as we've gone down through this tonight, we just really quickly read down through this. We're thinking about all the different things that could be right here. And it is right among us, Lord. And yet we have the unity of the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've saved us and you've brought us together. Help us to love one another. And Lord, help us to stand for truth. We know there are absolutes. And Lord, there are things that are definitely worth talking about and stating and drawing lines in the sand over but lord there are a lot of things that aren't teach us the difference and lord we thank you and we would echo certainly what is said here in essence uh, or in the essentials unity and non-essentials diversity and in all things charity that christ may be exalted we pray in jesus name amen